Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 43. Uh, the Bible says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father Yahweh, touch this sermon. Bless the words of my mouth. Bless the ears of the listeners. We give you glory. Amen. What we've been discussing here lately, or what I've been talking about in my sermons here lately, is imprecatory praying, and this will be, I guess, an offshoot of the past couple of sermons that I've taught. We talked about last week that we are called to hate unrighteousness. In Psalm 97, verse 10, the Bible says, Ye that love Yahweh hate evil. And so if we love Yahweh, we have a commandment to hate evil. And we saw last week that we're not just to hate the evil, but we're actually to hate the evil person. Uh, then in Psalm 139, 19 through 22, i tell you what, I could quote it partially, but I'm going to go to it because most people do not know that verses like this exist in the Bible, but they do. And we're called to love all of Yahweh's word. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 19. Almighty, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully, your enemies swear by you falsely. Yahweh, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Uh, you're not going to see that verse on too many bumper stickers driving down the road. You're not going to hear too many preachers preach on that verse. Um, but it's in the Bible. It's in the book of Psalms. And we're called to believe that it's part of the inspired words of our Heavenly Father through His prophets and men that He chose. We saw last week that Yahweh hates. Psalm 5 verse 5 says, Yahweh hates all workers of iniquity. Malachi 1, 1 through 6, he says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Some people try to get around that by saying that the word hated just means loved less, but the problem is still there because he still would love Jacob more than he loved Esau. And so the false doctrine that goes around in the church world that Yahweh loves everybody the same or equally is wrong no matter how you interpret that passage. But how do we harmonize those scriptures with what Yeshua says in Matthew 5? Because we want to believe all of the Bible. We know that Yeshua was the son of Yahweh or is the son of Yahweh. He said more than once in his ministry that he only speaks those things that his father has taught him. He never contradicts what his father says. So why does he say in Matthew 5 for us to love our enemies when David just got through saying that I hate those that hate you, Yahweh? And where Yahweh himself says, I hate all workers of iniquity. Well, there's three options. The first option is, is that some people get around this by throwing out the New Testament. 
I know people personally in my life. I've talked to them. There comes a point when I don't talk to them because I believe they violate Hebrews 10, 26 through 29 and put the Son of Yahweh to an open shame. I think that's the willful sin in, in Hebrews 10. But people take the easy route out and deny the New Testament and completely say the New Testament is bogus and we don't want to believe it because of passages like this. It usually starts with a rejection of the Apostle Paul is how it usually starts. They usually reject Paul's writings. One woman I talked to on the phone had actually cut out Paul's epistles from her Bible. And then it goes from Paul, and then they say, well, you know what, Yeshua looks like he's contradicting the Old Testament, so let's throw Yeshua out. I think it's because they don't have a mind of the Holy Spirit, a mind that Yahweh blesses certain people with to be able to know exactly how all the scriptures fit together like a beautiful puzzle. But that is the first option. That's what some people do. They throw out the teachings of the Messiah. Option number two, some people throw out the Old Testament. They say, well, back in the Old Testament, we were allowed to hate our enemy. But under the New Testament now, we're called to love our enemy. That's placing Yahweh and his words diametrically opposed to one another. That's saying that Yahweh uh, used to allow us to hate people, but now he doesn't. Or Yahweh used to command this, but now, no, it's not like that anymore. That's a mighty one with different thoughts. Uh, I usually accuse people or tell people that they worship a schizophrenic mighty one, one that doesn't really know what the truth is, but that says one thing and then turns around and says something the opposite. I think it's just as wrong to reject the Old Testament as it is for people that reject the New Testament. I think it's the same thing. I don't think there's any any difference there. But option three, and this is the one that I love to do, it's probably my most favorite Bible study, is to take a verse in the New Testament that people think contradict the Old Testament and rightly divide it and show from the Bible that it doesn't contradict the Old Testament at all. And that's what I'm going to do in this sermon, is to seek to harmonize these texts. They don't contradict. I don't believe they do. And I think that you'll see it when we're through. First things first, though, and that's this. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 is in a context. If there's something that you could learn about Bible study, this would be probably, if not the number one thing, it's up there in the top two or three. And that is this, is to always interpret a verse or a group of verses in light of their original context. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 is part of a sermon. It's a long sermon. It's a beautiful sermon. It was taught by Christ. You can go from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way to the end of Matthew 7. And you see at the beginning of Matthew 5, Yeshua goes up onto a mountain, he sits down, and he begins to teach. He does not come off of the mountain to the end of chapter 7 or the beginning of chapter 8, and the first person he sees is the, the leper that he heals, by the way. So it's in the context of a sermon. You cannot understand Matthew 5, 43 through 48 unless you understand the context of the entire chapter of Matthew 5 or the entire sermon of Matthew 5 through 7. Specifically, Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Let's read it. Matthew 5, 17, the Messiah says this, Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This right here, Matthew 5, 17 through 19, it rules out any interpretation of verses 43 through 48 that contradict the law and the prophets. Anybody that would preach Matthew 5, 43 through 48 about the neighbors and the enemies and make it contradict the law and the prophets can't be preaching correctly. And the reason is, is that prior to verse 43, back in verse 17, the first thing that the Messiah says before he gets into all of these subjects is this, don't assume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets to destroy it. Now, in the first century A.D., when someone misinterpreted the Torah, it was said that they destroyed the law. When a person correctly interpreted the law, it was said that they fulfilled the law. This is the historical, cultural context of Matthew 5, 17 through 19. So I think it's okay for us to understand that Yeshua is saying, I didn't come to destroy the law, meaning I didn't come to do away with it. I think that's part of it. But the main thing he's saying is this. What he's saying right here is this. Don't assume or don't think that I came to misinterpret or give you a false interpretation of the law or the prophets. I didn't come to do that. I came to fulfill it, i.e., I came to correctly interpret it. In our culture, we won't readily get that, right? But Yeshua didn't say these words in our culture. He said them in first century Hebraic culture. There were many Judahite rabbis that existed at that time that would argue about what the Torah was talking about in certain situations. If they thought a rabbi misinterpreted the Torah, that guy, don't listen to him, he destroys the law, he destroys the Torah. If they thought a rabbi correctly interpreted it, he's fulfilled the Torah, he keeps the Torah. That's what Yeshua is saying. And if you go on to read the entirety of the rest of Matthew chapter 5, that's exactly what he does. He goes on to say, this is how the scribes and Pharisees interpret the Torah, but I tell you, this is how it is really to be interpreted. That's what he's doing. Most people read Matthew 5 like this. The law taught this, but grace teaches this. No, that's not how Matthew 5 is to be read. It's not. That's not the cultural context. That's not the immediate context in the Scriptures. All right? Yeshua was not scolded for breaking Yahweh's law. He wasn't. He was scolded for breaking traditions of men. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. We're in the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew 15, 1 through 3. Then Pharisees and scribes came from Jerusalem to Yeshua and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they don't wash their hands when they eat? He answered them, And why do you break Yahweh's commandment because of your tradition? So the disciples of Yeshua were the followers of Yeshua. They listened to him teach. They abided in his teachings. And what did the scribes and Pharisees come up and say? They didn't say, Why do you break the law of Yahweh? Why do you break the tradition of the elders? See, this is what the Messiah and his disciples were scolded for. Uh, look with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 38. 
It says, as he was speaking, this is talking about the Messiah, he is the he here, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. What was Yeshua not doing here? Not performing the ritual washing. That is, Matthew 15 calls it the tradition of the elders. And this wasn't just wash your hands before you eat like Mama always used to tell us to do when we would come in from playing outside all day and being barefoot and barehanded. Make sure you wash up before dinner. No, this was a ritual washing. There were prayers that were said. Certain hands had to have water poured over them at certain times. I've taught on that before. The traditions of the elders. There was a body of law that had been concocted by the Pharisees. The word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word that means to separate. They called themselves the separated ones. They believed that they were the strictest in the sect of all of the Israelite people in the first century. They believed they were stricter than the Sadducees. They believed they were stricter than the Essenes. In some cases, they were very strict in the law. But what they had done is they had concocted a big body of law that was really nothing more than the traditions of man. We see the same thing in Christianity today. Each denomination, even sacred name denominations, if we want to call it that, Hebraic roots denominations, assemblies, have their traditions. And you get scolded more for coming against a tradition than you do for coming against the Bible. And it doesn't matter whether whether it's our assembly here or Baptists or Methodists or Catholics. We all have these traditions that we want to hold on to. And when somebody violates one of those traditions, what do we say? Well, why are they doing that? That's not how mom and dad always did it. That's not how... My great-grandparents always did it. This was the problem with the Pharisees. And we see in Matthew 15, verse 3, Yeshua said, Why do you break Yahweh's commandment to keep your tradition? Then he goes on and explains something that they were violating there with the fifth commandment. But Yeshua was never scolded for breaking the law of Yahweh. He never sinned. He's the perfect, unblemished lamb. He is the antitypical lamb, the Passover lamb, without blemish without defect. He never sinned. Sin is the transgression of the law, so he didn't break Yahweh's law. But he did violate the traditions. Somebody asked me one time, because it says in John 5, I believe it's verse 17, maybe verse 18, somewhere in there, where it says that Yeshua broke the Sabbath day. They said, well, he broke the Sabbath day. It says it right here. And I told them, I said, he broke the Sabbath day in John 5's context. He broke the Sabbath day in the minds of the Pharisees. They were getting on to them, for they said that he had broken the Sabbath day. See, He didn't break Yahweh's Sabbath regulations. He broke their traditions. There's traditions today that exist in Judaism, which is an offshoot of Pharisaism. Now, I believe that the Pharisees, the majority of them, were true Judaites. But I think that a lot of people that claim to be Jews today are the proselytes of Phariseeism. Matthew 23 talks about that are more of a child of hell than their predecessors. Okay? You can ruminate on that. I won't get into that a whole lot. But Yeshua violated their traditions, the traditions that existed in Phariseeism and that exist in Judaism today. Did you know, Mike, I know some people that won't even tear toilet paper on the Sabbath day. They say it's a violation. 
Don't pick up a match, Leon, because it might lead to striking the match. You know? There's some people that would get on to me for cranking my car up at my house and driving four miles to the congregation. Much less Sister Lee, she drives a lot further. I don't think that that was what Yahweh was talking about when he said don't travel on the Sabbath. He wasn't talking about traveling to the Holy Convocation. He was talking about traveling for your own purposes and pleasures. So the Pharisees don't break our traditions. Somebody the other day called me a Judaizer. They don't even know what a Judaizer is. A Judaizer is somebody that doesn't keep Yahweh's commandments and uplifts the traditions in Judaism. I'm the exact opposite. I uplift Yahweh's commandments and don't abide by the Judaistic traditions that violate Yahweh's law. Going back to Matthew chapter 5, he tells us in verse 18, and, and I want to move on, but let me just stop right here for a second. He tells us in verse 18, Matthew 5, For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Brother Jerry, heaven and earth are still here. They haven't passed away. And he tells us not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until everything is accomplished. The jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's a yod. It's similar to our comma. He's saying not one letter, not the smallest letter will pass. Then he says, or one tittle. And the tittle was not even a letter. It was a mark to differentiate certain letters from other ones. We might think of it in English like if you were to write an L and a T, but the first mark you make with a T is an up and down line, right? But in order to distinguish the T from the L, you draw a little tittle. That's what he's talking about. Not one letter or one stroke of a letter, the distinguishing marks will pass away. I think I said it in my last sermon, people are not doing away with letters, they're doing away with chapters and even books sometimes. I mean, they just pretty much wipe out the whole book of Leviticus. But Yeshua says right here in the plainest of terms, I didn't come to do away with any of these things. Then look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is why I believe, some people have asked me, what does least in the kingdom mean? Remember back in verse 19 when he says, if you break the least of the commandments and teach men to do so, you'll be called least in the kingdom? Some people believe that means in this context, you'll be there, but you'll be least. I don't think that it means that. I think verse 20 is a commentary on verse 19. Verse 20 at the end says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means. People that are in the kingdom will call you least because you will never enter there. But who is he contrasting in verse 20? Is he contrasting the law of Yahweh through Moses and his teachings? No. He's contrasting his teachings with the scribes and Pharisees. Unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Once again, they had built up a body of tradition. You go on to read Matthew 5, and he doesn't contradict the law. He's simply saying things like this. The scribes and Pharisees read the commandment, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And they only apply that, though, to physical murder. But yet they'll hate their brother in their heart. He says that's interior murder. They quote the commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But yet they only apply it to physical adultery. They don't recognize or don't agree that if you look, if you commit 
spiritual adultery or eye adultery, you've already committed it in your heart. The physical's not done away with. They're right to keep the physical. They're right to keep the letter of the law. Don't think the letter of the law is bad. It's correct to not commit physical adultery and physical murder. But it's incorrect to limit it to that and think that it's okay to commit heart murder and eye adultery. See, the Pharisees, you've got to exceed the scribes and Pharisees. That's what Yeshua was talking about. He's not contrasting his teachings with the law. Some people think this. Some people say, well, Yeshua and his teachings in Matthew 5, this is a popular one, they're stricter than the law. They're stricter because the law said don't commit adultery, but he said don't even look upon a woman of lust. They're not stricter. They're the same. Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs chapter 6, talks about the neighbor's wife. He says, do not lust after her beauty with your eyes. The Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Yeshua was not introducing anything new in Matthew 5. He was getting us back to the old paths in Matthew 5. That's all he was doing. Seek for the old paths. Therein you will find rest for your souls. Go back to what Yahweh's law originally intended. When Moses penned, thou shalt not commit adultery, it covered a lot more than just physically lying with your neighbors or laying with your neighbor's wife. It's a lot more involved there. Your righteousness has to go beyond that or you'll never enter the kingdom. This is the context of Matthew chapter 5. And that's why all through Matthew 5, he says, he starts off his subjects with what? You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Notice he doesn't start his subjects off with, it is written. No. He says, you have heard that it hath been said. That means this is how the scribes and Pharisees interpret the law. But I say unto you, and, that, and what he's saying there is, this is the true interpretation. That's the context of Matthew 5. That was quick, but it means a whole heap of a lot. And I've taught through the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, word by word. You can go back in previous sermons and listen to it in more detail. But with this in mind, let's go to Matthew 5, 43 through 48. In Matthew 5, 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, which means this is how the scribes and Pharisees interpret the law, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So, the scribes and Pharisees looked at the law that said, love your neighbor, Leviticus 19, 17, I believe it is. By implication, that means hate your enemy. But I want to tell you in this sermon that Yeshua, when he goes on in verse 44 to say, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he is not introducing anything new at all. You can find everything that Yeshua teaches here in the law. So, if somebody is going to do away with the New Testament because of this passage, then they're going to have to become an agnostic or an atheist or convert to another religion because I can show you where the exact same teachings here are found in the law of Yahweh. And you say, well, how do you harmonize that? Well, first let me go and let me show you. Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 through 5. Let's take our Bibles and turn there. Now remember, this is the same Old Testament that we've been preaching from the past two sermons that I've taught. It talks about hatred, the doctrine of holy hatred, and I believe in that. But the same Bible says this. Exodus 23, verse 4. If you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you must return it to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you lying helpless under its load, 
and you want to refrain from helping it, you must help with it. Now, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 22, 1 through 5, he says this about your neighbor. He says, if you see your neighbor's stray animal, you've got to help him. But here he says, if you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you've got to make sure that you help him out there. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I know this is New Testament, but you'll see why I'm going here in just a second. Romans chapter 12. This is one of the many verses that anti-Paulists attempt to use to say that Paul contradicted the Old Testament, and I get very frustrated. I do not mean to sound sarcastic, but I can't help it because I get very frustrated because I think people are lazy and they don't want to study the Bible and they don't want to harmonize Scripture. And so what they do is they just cut parts out that they don't know how to harmonize. And it bothers me so bad. It's a pet peeve of mine. So, now I'll get my blood pressure down. Romans 12, beginning at verse 17. Romans 12:17, Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Why did he say if possible? He knew it wasn't going to always be possible, amen? Sometimes it's difficult, but if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. And this is going to be a key to the sermon. Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, that's a key right there, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says Yahweh. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So we think that this verse, some people think that this verse is similar to five, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. The Old Testament says, hate your enemy. The New Testament says, Love your enemy, but Paul is gathering his teachings right here from the Old Testament. Notice again in verse 19, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written. You've got to remember that when Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the assembly at Rome, the letter did not exist. He was writing it. The only scriptures that were written that existed was what we now call the Old Testament. So when he said, for it is written, he's saying it's written in the Scriptures, the, what we call the Old Testament. What is written? Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says Yahweh. And then, guess what's also written? Verse 20. Verse 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 says, Yahweh is speaking through Moses the prophet. Yahweh says, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. Sound familiar? It should. Paul quoted it in Romans 12, 19. Paul wasn't coming up with something new in Romans 12. The end of verse 35 says, In time their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. But who does vengeance belong to? Vengeance belongs to Yahweh. Who will repay? Yahweh will repay. Look with me to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. This is where Paul got Romans 12, verse 20 from. He didn't make it up. He got it from the book of Proverbs. Solomon, King Solomon most likely. 
Proverbs 25, verse 21 through 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap coals on his head, and Yahweh will reward you. Do you see how that if we're going to do away with Romans and Matthew, we're going to have to do away with Proverbs and Deuteronomy too, because that's where they're getting the teaching from. Most people don't want to do that. But I, I tell people often that deny Paul's authenticity or the Messiah's teachings, I tell them that if they're consistent, they will eventually deny the whole Bible if they're consistent. Because the same quote-unquote inconsistencies, I can show them from the Old Testament within itself. Most of them say, oh, no, no, Matthew, no, Matthew. And then a few years later, I hear from them. And you know what? Well, I don't believe in the Scriptures anymore. That's what I've had it happen to me. I've had people call up. I told a woman the other day, I said, Sister, I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't, I don't think I can help you. I don't think I can help you. She, she was at the point where she had denied just the New Testament at this time. But Hebrews 10 talks about, look, if we sin willfully after coming to some type of knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. He goes on to explain what that sin is. And it's crucifying the Son of Yahweh afresh and putting Him to an open shame. You have some type of knowledge. I don't think it means that you've been saved by the Father or drawn by the Father, but you have some type of knowledge of the Bible, some type of knowledge of the Gospel, but then you deny what you know. And there remains no more sacrifice for sin. This right here was actually practiced. Proverbs 25 was practiced in 2 Kings 6. Let's take our Bibles. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And let's read verses 18 through 23 real quickly. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to Yahweh, Please strike this nation with blindness. That's an imprecatory prayer if I've ever heard one. Please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. So Elisha was a little deceptive there. And he led them to Samaria. When they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Yahweh opened these men's eyes and let them see. So Yahweh opened their eyes. They looked and discovered they were in Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? I will kill them. Elisha said, Don't kill them. Do you kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow? Set food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and go to their master. What does Proverbs 25 say? If your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is what Yahweh's law commands. Look at Proverbs 24. One more passage in the Old Testament. Proverbs 24, verse 17. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Don't gloat when your enemy falls, and don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles, or Yahweh will see, be displeased, and turn his wrath away from him. So you're not to gloat, boast, be braggadocious when your enemy falls. Don't let your heart rejoice. Yahweh will see it. He'll be displeased with that. You stay humble. You do what Yahweh's law tells you to do. So, love your enemies. Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What is love, brothers and sisters? Keeping the commandments. Love, if you're a true Christian, a true follower of Christ, which is what the word Christian means, Love defined by 1 John 5, verse 3. This is the love of Yahweh that you keep His commandments. You cannot define love any other way if you're a Bible believer. This is why it makes no sense. And this isn't my sermon, but this will give you a good idea or a good example of what I'm saying. It makes no sense for people in today's time, 
even at an early age now, grow up, little young girls or young boys, and they say, I want to love another boy. A boy says, I want to love another boy. That's homosexuality. Or a girl says, I want to love another girl, be quote-unquote married. It's not a biblical marriage. Therefore, it's not a marriage. No matter how much they say they have that type of love for that person, it's not love. Because love is keeping the commandments. You can't define it any other way. Right? Love is not some type, of, some type of gushy emotional feeling towards your enemies. It doesn't mean you get all gushy and all you know, fluttery over your enemies. It means you act towards your enemies the way Yahweh's law commands you to act. That's what it means to love your enemies. Romans 13, 8 through 10. I won't go there, but it says this. Check it out in your studies. It says that love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, don't take that verse like some preachers do and, and interpret it to mean that we just have some, some type of atmospheric love going around and we're just all cuddly and cozy. I saw a church the other day. I think it was in Conyers. I passed it. The name of the church was Loves and Hugs Christian Church. I couldn't imagine somebody asking me, where do you go to church? I go to Loves and Hugs Christian Church. I couldn't imagine that. you know. But that was the name. Love is not, and I'm not saying we shouldn't show our emotion. Like if we love our wife, I think that includes hugging our wife or kissing our wife. But it, it also includes even more importantly providing for her. Amen, husbands? That's what love is. It's the fulfilling of the law. Love is not the doing away of the law, but love is the fulfilling of the law. If I love Brother Tim, I won't steal from him. I won't hate him in my heart, right? I won't covet his belongings. You, do you see that? Do you see that? If he had a wife, I wouldn't lust after my neighbor's wife. That, if I loved him, I fulfill the law towards Tim. And if I love Yahweh, I fulfill the laws towards Yahweh. I don't put other gods before him. I don't take his name in vain. I don't make idols, and I don't break his Sabbath day. You see, that's what biblical love is. It's the fulfillment of the law. So love does not mean gushy emotions, but it means obedience to the law. So we obey the law towards our enemies. That's how we love our enemies. Let's turn back to our initial text, Matthew chapter 5. We'll close out with this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Once again, Yeshua says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for doesn't always mean pray for their salvation. We've learned, according to the Bible, sometimes it means imprecatory prayer. But who do we leave it in the hands of? We leave it in Yahweh's hands. We don't repay evil. We don't disobey Yahweh's law like they've done to us. We pray. We leave it in Yahweh's hands. See, it's a holy hatred. You see that? It's not... You know, where I just want to just, you know, start, you know, punching somebody out. No. It's Yahweh, I hate that person. Boy, that doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth, but it's biblical. I hate that person because they hate your law. But that don't mean I want to go, you know, shoot them or anything like that, right, Brother Leon? That means I pray about it. Sometimes it's an imprecatory prayer. Vengeance belongs to Yahweh. I leave it in his hands. And if there ever comes a time when they're thirsty, I give them something to drink. If they're hungry, I give them something to eat. The Bible says in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Coals of fire can mean one of two things. And I think it probably can mean both, depending on the situation. Sometimes it can be like that 
that coal of fire that touched Isaiah's tongue in Isaiah 6. And he said, now I'm cleansed. It can be pains of shame that lead to repentance. Sometimes, though, I think it could mean Gehenna. I think it could mean eternal damnation for an enemy. But we always allow Yahweh to take care of the situation. Look at the example Yeshua gives. This will help us out tremendously. He says in verse 45, You do this so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, are these blessings salvational? No. This is common love. You have to distinguish between Yahweh's love of salvation, His salvational love, and then Yahweh's common love of all humanity. When the sun rises on the righteous man's house, you can have the most unrighteous person living next door to him and the exact same sun rises over their house. Common love. That doesn't mean that person will be saved, but it means Yahweh lets the sun rise. The rain comes on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Common love. Yahweh's not telling you to love them in some type of gushy emotional way, once again, repeating myself for emphasis' sake. But just like I show common love to the world, Yahweh says, you show common love to the world. If you see his donkey, listen, I know you're not going to want to help him, but you help him anyhow. Exodus 23, 4 through 5. If you see his donkey, he's straight. If he's hungry, give him something to eat. It's a holy hatred, not an unholy hatred. So we show common love. We don't go around with a bitter attitude. We go around with a holy hatred. And that includes showing common love. It includes obeying the Torah. Obeying the Torah. Holy hatred hands it over to Yahweh, and Yahweh will repay unrepentant sinners. And so then we understand what the rest of the passage is saying. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collector was somebody that was looked down upon then, and a lot of times they're looked down upon now. He says, look, a tax collector can show biblical love to somebody that shows him biblical love back. A heathen, this Bible says Gentiles, it should say heathen, They can greet somebody that greets them back. But what reward do you have? How is that being like your father? Because remember, he sends his son and reign on not just the righteous, but also the unrighteous. So you want to be like him, be his child, and you can greet your enemy. You can greet somebody that you have holy hatred for so that you might be children of your father. doesn't necessarily mean that they'll ever be saved. They might, they might not be but you are commanded to act biblically towards them. And so then we see verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect in the Greek means, or is the Greek word teleos, and it means complete. And all it's saying is, you have that complete love, just like your Father. Your Father has complete love, just and unjust, common love. You do the same. You be complete even as He is. If you only love those that love you back, you're not having a complete love. You're not being perfect like your father. Because he sends that rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you catch that? This passage does not contradict the Old Testament. This passage was already taught in the Old Testament. Yeshua is giving us the correct interpretation of the Torah in Matthew 5. That's why I went through that introduction. I hope that you see this. This does not contradict the doctrine of imprecatory praying. It does not at all. It simply says Yahweh. Sometimes we know. 
We've got to pray an imprecatory prayer on those that hate you. But we're leaving it in your hands. We're not taking it into our own. Vengeance belongs to you. You will repay. And brothers and sisters, if they are unrepentant, they will receive damnation. They will. The enemies of Yahweh. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Yahweh, Father, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for your many blessings. Thank you for the people here. Thank you for your word. Yahweh, Father, I pray that only that which is true will be remembered and anything that I've said that is not true will be forgotten. Help me, Father, in the error of my ways. And I pray that you'd continue to build us up and lift us up in your spirit by your word. We thank you, Yahweh. Bless this week. We live it to your glory and to your praise. It's through your Son, Yeshua the Messiah, I pray. Amen.